Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I'm Monty Judah with Lion and Lamb Ministries. Welcome to our uh, Saturday morning study. We are in a program called The Visions of Ezekiel. We're studying the book of Ezekiel. And if you've been following the broadcast and the episodes, we're already deep into the book. In fact, I'd like to have a start here at chapter 5, where we're going to continue to take up our study. The way I'm going to present this is I'm going to tie a couple of chapters together, chapter 5, 6, and 7 together. The reason is because they're basically saying the same thing. When I began the study, I shared with you that this is a hard book to study, not because it's complicated, but because the message is so strong and so tierce. And as I've shared with you before, a lot of rabbis won't even teach this to Israel. It's so strong from the Lord of the way he speaks to Israel and their mistakes and what they've done wrong. Now, the context of these words that I'm going to share with you today is he's talking to Ezekiel, who's in Babylon. He's been taken captive. And Jerusalem is still operating. We've only had the first set of captives taken out of there. And Babylon is going to be coming and destroying the rest of Jerusalem and the temple because the people that are still in Israel that weren't taken captive, they're still not obeying the Lord. They are still doing all manner of things that God said it was unacceptable to him, there was abominations to him, and he's basically, through Ezekiel right now, he's speaking back to those that are still in the land of Israel, those that are still in Jerusalem, about they are not getting it, they are not understanding, the Lord is not going to tolerate this in the nation, in the city, and they are subject to further judgment. Now at this point, Babylon had already come, and taking some of the people captive, well, he's talking about even worse things are going to happen. And again, it's kind of tough to read, and it's kind of tough to think about God speaking in such harsh terms to the people of God. And again, Ezekiel, in presenting this to the people where he was at, was asked to do what I call a series of antics, little visual things that was to get people's attention, like, what what are you doing, Ezekiel? I mean, why are you laying on your right side this and white left side that? Why are, why are you eating this special bread? And you're baking it over dung? I mean, what, what are you doing? And he was doing all these antics to get the attention of the people of Israel for them that were in Babylon to understand you're in captivity because of misbehavior. And by the way, all of the rest of our Jewish brethren that are back in the land, they're in trouble with the Lord because they're still not learning the lesson and they're still not getting things turned around. With that as an introduction, let's dive into beginning at chapter 1, verse 1. As for you, son of man, that's referring to Ezekiel, take a sharp sword, take and use it as a barber's razor on your head and beard. Then take scales for weighing and divide the hair. Okay, here's one of these antics. I want you to shave your head and your beard. And I want you to take all your whiskers and, and your hair. I want you to get some scale out. We're going to weigh it out. Verse 2, one-third you shall burn the fire at the center of the city. And when the days of the siege are completed, then you shall take one-third and strike it with the sword all around the city. And one-third you will scatter to the wind, and I will unsheath a sword behind them. He's using this symbology of taking his hair, his beard and his hair, and he's saying, 
the first thing I'm going to do is you're going to use one third of it. You're going to burn it in the middle of the city. That is going to represent the Babylonians laying siege to the city of Jerusalem. Then after they are successful in laying siege to it, I want you to take the uh, one third of your hair and I want you to take a sword to it. I want you to slaughter, cut it up, chop it up. Because that's what's going to happen to the people. They're going to be slaughtered. And then finally, afterwards, there's going to be some of them that escape. I want you to take it. I want you to throw your hair out like it's trying to escape. And I want you to understand that that will be chased down. And so he's talking about the devastation that God is authorizing the, the forces of Babylon to come and lay siege to Jerusalem in the land of Israel. And let me just tell you, from a Jewish mindset standpoint, the destruction of the land of Israel and enemies overrunning it, the destruction of the city of Jerusalem is like the worst thing that could possibly happen in your days. I mean, it's beyond comprehension almost as to how severe of a judgment that is. So he lays out this, this thing to do it. And then he says this, Verse 3, take also a few in number from them and bind them in the edges of your robe and take again some of them and throw them into the fire, burn them in the fire. From it, fire will spread to all of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, this is Jerusalem. I have set her at the center of the nations with lands around her, but she has rebelled against my ordinances more wickedly than the nations and others around them and have violated my statutes more than all the other nations around me, for they have rejected my ordinances and have not walked in my statute. Basically, he's saying, Israel, you are worse than the other nations that are around you, and they aren't anywhere near believers of me. And what? Wow, that's a very serious charge. Verse 7, therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have more turmoil in the nations which surround you, and have not walked in my statutes, nor observed my ordinances, nor observed the ordinances of the nations which surround you. You haven't followed the law of any of them. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I, even I, am against you, and I will execute judgments among you in the sight of the nations. And because of all of your abominations, I will do to you what I have not done, and like of which I have never do again. He said, I'm going to whack you worse than anything that has ever been done, and I'm not going to do it again, but I am going to hit you really hard. Very hard words to hear from God. Verse 10, therefore fathers will eat their sons among you, and sons will eat their fathers. For I will execute judgments on you and scatter all your remnant to every wind. There's a key word here that we need to take note of, the word remnant. If we go back and we look at the whole history of Israel, the good times, the bad times, there is this thread of people beginning with Abraham and extending down through Isaac and Jacob and on down into his sons, in which there's been this remnant. There's been this small portion of Israel that really was trying to follow the Lord, really was walking according to the Lord, and God was very gracious too. But the whole surrounding element of the other people was worthy of judgment. And so what God has done consistently throughout the ages, throughout the many years of the life of Israel, he has maintained this little remnant. 
And in the days of Isaiah, he said the remnant was so small that had it been smaller, Israel would have become like Sodom and Gomorrah. There would have never been another nation of Israel again. But the remnant was there and kept it. We have a thing in Judaism called the minion. If you can get 10 Jews together in a city and pray, then God won't judge that city. This is based on Abraham's negotiation with the Lord about trying to stop Sodom and Gomorrah from being totally judged. On the final negotiation, he said, will you destroy the city if there are 10 righteous? And the Lord said, no, if there's 10 righteous, I won't destroy the city. So, well, as you know, in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, they couldn't find 10 righteous and the place was judged. So as a result, taking application to that whole story, Jews have traditionally in the communities where they live, they need to get what they call a minion. They need to get a group of 10 Jews that come together every day in the city and they pray so that there's 10 righteous before the Lord and the Lord won't judge that city and won't judge them as a people because of it. And it's all predicated on this concept. There is this remnant that goes through. Now, I'm not suggesting to you that the remnant totally is just 10 Jews praying in every city every day. It's very clear that the remnant extends to those who also are involved with the Messiah. The Lord was building in his disciples a minion of believers that would carry on what he was doing of the work of redemption. And in communities, the Messiah specifically talked about if two or three gathered together, I will be in the midst. What he's talking about is that we need a remnant. We need a small portion that remains faithful, that looks to the Lord. Because if there's no one there, well, then the Lord is not involved with it. They're, all the people are against him. You know, they have forgotten him. So he, even in the midst of these judgments, even in the midst of this, this horrible stuff. God says there will be a remnant. Let me repeat to you, and scatter all your remnant to every wind, verse 10. So a remnant will survive, and they will scatter them, but they'll still survive. Again, if you go down through the history of Israel, all the prophets, all the things that have taken place, certain kings, good kings, and so forth, you can see this remnant thread. And by the way, when it comes to the end of the ages, the people who are believers, the people who have the testimony of Yeshua as the Messiah and keep his commandments, they're regarded as the remnant, you know, at the end of the ages. You want to be part of the remnant. You are not going to endure God's judgments. You may have to move, you may have to deal with some things, but you're not receiving the judgments of God that would be falling upon other people. Let me continue on for you. Verse 11, so as I live, declares the Lord God, surely because you have defiled my sanctuary with all of your detestable idols and with all of your abominations, therefore I will also withdraw and my eye shall not have pity and I will not spare. One third of you will die by the plague or be consumed by famine among you. One third will fall by the sword around you and one third I will scatter to every wind and I will unsheath a sword behind you. Remember, he divided his hair into thirds, and now he's talking about that's a symbol of the judgment that's coming. By the way, I find this particular judgment rather interesting for us. If you look in the book of Revelation and you look at the judgment, particularly the trumpet judgment, not the seals, not the plagues, the trumpet judgment, we call them one 
third judgments, one third of the trees, one third of all waters, one third of the sea. They're one third judgments. God has done this one third judgment before. He's used this as a methodology to try to get the people to turn back to him. And so as we see the example with Ezekiel dealing with Israel and the city of Jerusalem, we see in the book of Revelation a parallel between what's being expressed here and what God says is going to be happening at the trumpet judgment. That's not a coincidence. The lessons that we're learning here from Ezekiel, we should be learning that exact same lesson when we get to the trumpet judgments in the days of the great tribulation. So let's continue on. Verse 13, thus my anger will be spent, and I will satisfy my wrath on them, and I shall be appeased. Then they will know that I, the Lord, have spoken in my zeal when I have spent my wrath upon them. Moreover, I will make you a desolation and a reproach among the nations which surround you in the sight of all who pass by. So it will be a reproach, a reviling, a warning, and an object of horror to the nations who surround you. When I execute judgments against you in anger, wrath, and raging rebukes, I, the Lord, have spoken. That is God's operating policy. And that was what he used in the Babylonian siege here. Oh, by the way, we got the same thing when the Romans came and destroyed Jerusalem and the temple in 70 AD. There's a very famous story about Mark Twain, you know, the, the writer of Thomas Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn and all that, an American author. He went on a world tour and he made a trip over to the land of Israel. And one of the things that he wrote in his journal with regard to that trip, when he went to the land of Israel, he said, this place is horrible. Nobody can live here. This is a reproach. Nobody should live here. This is a horrible place. It's destroyed. Well, that's exactly what God said he would do to the land and to the people when he scatters them. And that was in the 1800s when he was there. Nowadays, we have a completely different picture of Israel because the people, the house of Judah has been returning to the land. The nation has been reestablished. It's now green. It's growing. It's prospering. It's increasing. But I got to tell you, for a lot of years, for many years after 70 AD, the land of Israel became a reproach to all people. Just some Palestinians who didn't have any other place, they were dwelling in some pieces of it until the Jewish people started immigrating and coming back from Europe and World War II for that. There are stories about how the Jewish people, when they came back, had to drain swamps up in the Hula Valley, up in the northern part. It was a swamp. There was nothing. Well, the Jews came back to the land, and they figured out a way to drain the swamp. Oh, by the way, guess what? When you drain that swamp, all that stuff that's been in there decomposing in the bottom of that swamp, you cannot find a better ground to grow things. So that pile of fertilizer that was up there suddenly is turned into a blessing. But God put it into the reproach category. He harmed it to keep us out during the time of being in captivity. But it turns out he was really setting us up for a great blessing at the end. He turned it into some of the best soil that you can possibly grow things in. And right now in the land of Israel, Everywhere you go, in the various communities up in the north, down in the south, and so forth, you're finding where agriculture-wise, they are doing tremendous things. They grow all the fruit and vegetables for the Middle East. Did you know that? 
you know, the trucks, they load up the fruit and the vegetables, they get to the Jordanian border, they swap out the license tags from Israeli license tags to Jordanian license tags, and the truck continues on. So it looks like it came from Jordan, when in fact it came from Israel. Israel's been feeding the other nations. Flowers, the flowers for Europe, all the flower shops, where do you think they come from? Israel. They grow the flowers. They put them in big things and they fly them into Europe all the time. You know, things that were grown now are prospering many, food-wise and so forth. But God at this point was telling them that if you don't obey me, I'm going to literally zap the land. I'm going to drive you out of it. I'm going to make it a reproach. Other nations will come by and they'll be reviled by it. We certainly have the testimony of Mark Twain and his observations where he was reviled. He said, this is the Holy Land? This, this is where the prophets used to walk? Well, you've got to be kidding me. This is a horrible place. And that was his first take upon seeing the land. Let me continue. Verse 16, And when I send against them the deadly arrows of famine, which were for their destructions, for those whom I shall send to destroy you, then I shall also intensify the famine upon you and break the staff of bread. Wow, it's one thing to be besieged and you don't have enough food, but then he breaks the staff of bread. That means you have nothing. You have nothing at all. Moreover, verse 17, I will send famine on you and wild beasts, and they will bereave you of your children. Plague and bloodshed also will pass through you, and I will bring the sword on you. I, the Lord, have spoken. Again, it's a tough chapter to read. It's a very tough thing to consider what is the Lord's thinking, what he was telling Ezekiel was going to happen to the people. Let's continue. Chapter 6 is more of the same. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face toward the mountains of Israel and prophesy against them, and say, Mountains of Israel, listen to the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains, the hills, the ravines, and the valleys. Behold, I myself am going to bring a sword on you, and I will destroy your high places. So your altars will become desolate, and your incense altars will be smashed, and I shall make your slain fall in front of your idols. Let's talk about this for a moment. When Israel went into the land and they established the tabernacle, God made a specific commandment at that point and said, you will not set up altars in other places now. You will come to this one altar that is where I have placed my name. You'll come to, directly to the tabernacle. You'll come to the temple. You will come and do business with me here. If you set up any altar, any other place, then I would consider that an altar set up to an idol. In the misbehavior of the children of Israel in these days that led to the Babylonian captivity, guess what they had done? Of course, they had gone to all the high places in the land of Israel. And the mountain range that ridged is down through there, the Sumerian mountains, the Judean mountains, these elevated places. And they had gone up, you know, because that's what man does. Oh, I want to get high, so let's go up on a high latitude. Did you know that when you go to Jerusalem and see where the altar is at, there's other things all around it higher? All around it, it's higher. And the reason is because God doesn't need a high mountain. He just needs a clean place for his altar. But the way men think, oh, I'll put it up on a high mountain. I'll go up on a mountain, I'll do it. You remember Balaam, when he came to curse Israel? They went up and they built the altars and, and did the things up on high mountains so they could see. 
That's what idolaters commonly do. They build high things. So he's talking about the altars and the idolatry that is throughout the land of Israel. And he's talking about he's going to destroy all those altars. And by the way, he's going to scatter the dead bodies of the Israelites in front of those altars. He's going to leave them heaped up in piles around there. Horrible. Verse 5, I shall also lay the dead bodies of the sons of Israel in front of these idols, and I will scatter their bones around your altars. Horrible. I mean, spiritually, that's a horrible scene. In all your dwellings, cities will become waste, and the high places will be desolate, that your altars may become waste and desolate, your idols may be broken and brought down to an end, and your incense altars may be cut down and your works may be blotted out. He's going through a pretty good list of what will be destroyed. Verse 7, And the slain will fall among you, and you will know that I am the Lord. The Lord will use that expression frequently so that you might know that I am the Lord. If you go back to the original story of Moses and Pharaoh, a number of times when the judgments were proclaimed to Pharaoh and to Egypt, God would say through Aaron, as they pronounced the judgment, so that you might know the Lord. And that was the primary objective. God wanted Pharaoh, the Egyptians, the Israelites, and the rest of the world to know who the Lord is. Well, he's saying, repeating that here, when I pour out this judgment, you, Israel, I want you to know I am the Lord. And what we're supposed to be getting from that is, okay, he's the Lord, I'm the man part, I should stop playing God. I should obey what he says. I should not be disobeying what he says. I should turn back to him. He's the Lord. Let's pursue the Lord as opposed to what we've been doing. So he's repeating this. I am the Lord. Verse 8, however, I love this again, I shall leave a remnant for you will have those who escape the sword among the nations when they are scattered amongst the countries. Did you hear that? I'm going to scatter you in the countries. But there's still going to be a remnant out there. Israel has been scattered by the Assyrians, the house of Israel, into the nation. The Jews went to Babylon, they came back, and there was still a remnant in Babylon. Ezekiel was one of the remnant that he's referring to that had been taken captive and scattered. And by the way, when the house of Judah was scattered into the nations by the Romans, there was a remnant. And we have always had a remnant group of believers, even in the nations, even though we're under this punishment and scattering. I believe today, as messianic believers, we constitute the remnant that is scattered in the nations. There's a group of believers amongst all the people of Israel scattered in the nations. There's a group of us who still hold of the God of Israel, and we believe in the God of Israel. We are the remnant that is out amongst the scattered nations. You could take verse 8 right there and say, that's us, that's who we are, that's what God is doing with us. Verse 9, then those of you who escape and will remember me among the nations to which they have carried captive, how I have been hurt by their adulterous hearts and which have turned away from me and by their eyes which played the harlot after their idols, and they will loathe themselves in their sight for the evils which they have committed for all their abominations. Then they will know I am the Lord. I have not said this in vain that I would inflict this disaster on them. One of the things I've been trying to ex express to you is my own personal feelings of listening to God's judgment through Ezekiel upon my ancestors. We are sons and daughters of those ancestors. 
We're scattered in the nations. Why are we scattered in the nations? Because our fathers misbehaved. And now here we are. We're realizing what's going on. We're realizing the judgment that we're part of. And he says, look, to the remnant, he said, listen to this. He said, while you're scattered in the nations, you're going to come to terms with what has happened. You're going to come to terms with why you're in captivity. You're being punished. The Lord is punishing us, the nation of Israel, right now while we're scattered in the nation. You know, my punishment was to go to Oklahoma. I don't know where your punishment was at, but that's where mine is. This is not the promised land. This is not the holy land. I don't get to go to Jerusalem. I am scattered, okay? And it says we got to come to the point where we loathe ourselves. We loathe what we as a people have become. We're supposed to be the people of God. We're doing the opposite of it. We're not being the people of God. We're causing God great frustration and harm and making him angry of all of our abominations. Just for the moment, you know, and I'm not judging, but let's make sure we kind of understand. I bet every one of you that are listening to my voice has eaten unclean things. I bet you have come into contact with dead persons and have not been cleansed from it. You're defiled according to God's standards. I bet every one of you have, excuse me, but you have broke virtually every commandment you could possibly break. You have transgressed, and you have been experiencing to some degree in every one of your families some level of curses. Every one of us have that testimony. Why? Well, it's because of where we're at and how we got here. You know, the whole thing begs, and that's the reason why we're supposed to learn this. This is not a good place. We're not in a good place. We're not doing the right thing. And it's supposed to stir our souls to say, wait a minute, this is not what's supposed to be. We're supposed to be turning back toward the Lord. Those of us who are able to do that, repent, turn back from the Lord, we're the real remnant. We're the remnant that he's talking about. We've, we're learning the lesson. And by the way, God is in the business of giving us lessons quite frequently to get us to obey him and follow him. It's the same kind of lessons when I was in my home growing up. I used to get a lot of lessons from my mom and my dad. Every kid does if he's loved by his parents. And God loves us, and he's going to give us a series of lessons to get us to learn. And I'm hoping that when we get into the Great Tribulation and we're subject to all those tests and lessons, that we'll pass with flying colors. I pray to God we will learn these ancient lessons and be able to figure this out as to where we have to go. All right, let me take you to verse 11. Thus says the Lord God, I love this part, clap your hand and stamp your foot and say, alas, because of all of the evil abominations of the house of Israel, which shall fall by the sword, famine and plague, he who is far off will die by the plague, and he who is near will fall by the sword, and he who remains is besieged and will die by famine. Thus shall I spend my wrath on them. Then you will know that I am the Lord when their slain are among their idols around their altars on every high hill on all the tops of mountains, under every green tree, and under every leafy oak, the places where they offered soothing aroma to their idols. So throughout all of their inhabitants, I shall stretch out my hand against them and make the land more desolate and waste than the wilderness toward Dibla. And thus they will know that I am the Lord. Here's that phrase again. 
so they know that I am the Lord. I want to review just for the part where it talks about, let me go back here and see this here, where he lists off the judgments, the sword, famine, plague. You're going to hear that expression again. And wild beast. Did you hear that? Remember there was a judgment about wild beast. These are the four classic judgments that God will put on a nation and put on a people. War, famine, disease, and wild beasts. By the way, these same four ones are talked about in the book of Revelation. These same four ones, when we get to Ezekiel chapter 14, you're going to hear God teach a lesson about those four judgments. Those are the classic judgments God pours out on a nation and on a people when he is very angry with them. We've seen nations where they had one or two of those judgments, but when you get all four of them, it is truly horrible, the judgments that befall the people. We'll hear more about that. Now, I only have a short time left in this lesson, but I do want to cover chapter 7. So let me quickly go through what chapter 7 It's a repeat of what it is, but this time it's expressing not only have they done abominations in the land, not only have they done abominable things in the city of Jerusalem and with idols and so forth scattered around, but this one he now says that they've also desecrated and defiled and profaned the temple. There was a temple in Jerusalem. That's where God was at. And so he's talking about how the judgment that's going to befall them is also going to be because of what they have done at the temple and how he will pour out his wrath onto it. Let me give you the first couple of verses, chapter 7. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, And you, son of man, thus says the Lord God to the land of Israel, an end, the end is coming at the four corners of the land. If you look at the end of chapter 7, He's talking about the same thing. This is an end. We're going to end this. I'm gonna, this is going to stop. And in the middle of this chapter, he does things like this. Verse 14. Let me take you there. They have blown the trumpet and made everything ready. No one is going to battle, for my wrath is against all of their multitude. The sword is outside. The plague and the family are within. He who is in the field will die by the sword. Famine and plague will also consume those in the city. Even when their survivors escape, they will be on the mountains like the doves of valleys, and all of them mourning, each of them in their own iniquity. And he goes on to say here, all hands hang limp, all knees will become water. They will gird themselves with sackcloth, and with shuddering will overwhelm them, and shame will be on all their faces, and baldness on all of their heads. They will fling their silver into the streets, and their gold shall become an abhorrent thing. Their silver and their gold shall not be able to deliver them in the day of the wrath of the Lord. They cannot satisfy their appetite, nor can they fill their stomachs, for their iniquity has become an occasion of stumbling. He's describing, essentially, this is what the people of Israel did in Jerusalem. You know, as they saw the trouble coming, they said, you know, um, i got to figure out how I'm going to get through this. So they were looking to each other. Now, what, what are you going to try to do to prepare? He said, oh, I'm going to get gold and silver. You know, I'll be able to buy what I need to. I'll, I'll use gold. And he basically is saying, I'm going to trust gold and silver. I'm not going to trust the Lord. Because when you put the gold and silver in front of the Lord, you said no to the Lord, and you said yes to your gold and silver. So the enemy comes in, and you suddenly discover this gold and silver that you've accumulated, you've got ready to go. You can't eat it. The problem is famine. You can't eat these coins. You can't eat these bars of gold. So what ends up happening? Well, the enemy comes in, lays siege to you, and you know what you do? You throw your gold and silver out to your enemies out on the streets, hoping that for that last moment you can somehow escape them. 
I mean, it's kind of like, you know, say I was confronted by a whole bunch of soldiers. And so what I did in, in an effort to try to get away, I take all these gold and silver coins and I throw them at them. Yeah, I think that might temporarily stop them a little bit. They might stop to pick some of those up, but that's not going to deliver you. You're not going to escape. That's what you end up doing with all that stuff that you tried to trust more than the Lord. It's part of your downfall. In the book of Revelation, it specifically says at the end of the ages, it says people that will be in the great tribulation, they will go through the same kinds of things we're talking about here. They're going to go through these kinds of judgments. The world will experience these, the whole world, not just Israel. And there's going to be people trying to figure out how to escape. And some of the people are going to say, well, you know, I, I, yeah, I want to escape and I want to trust the Lord, but I'm going to go ahead and bring some stuff that uh, will help me. Now, there's nothing wrong with bringing some resources with you for the purpose of being able to purchase along the way things you may need. Nothing wrong whatsoever with it. But there are certain people that will be bringing that and they'll say, yeah, that's my real fallback plan. I'm not really trusting the Lord. I have this fallback plan. And those people are going to suffer. They're not going to fool the Lord on this. And judgment is that secure. And he basically, Ezekiel is trying to say to Israel, you're not going to be safe or secure. Even if you escape, you're not going to be safe and secure from God's judgment by you saying, well, I've got some gold and silver to help cover me. Refugees that have come out of many nations, out of the history of the world, have done all manner of ingenious things to be able to bring with them gold and silver and precious stones to have resources to purchase things as necessary. I remember one very specific story. I'll give you an example. Um, my former wife's parents uh, came from the Armenians. Uh, and you may or may not be aware of the fact that there was an Armenian massacre that took place in Turkey. It was like a holocaust. Over a million Armenians were killed by the Turks. Families were escaping. One of the families that escaped out of there, went through Greece, was the ancestors to my former wife. And there was a mother and two sons. The two sons were small. Well, one of those sons ended up being her grandfather. And when they escaped out of that land, the mother, to provide resources for them to travel and be able to get to America where they wanted to get, she had taken all of the gold that she owned and she had made into a chain links of gold, links of gold, links of gold. And then she had put it on. She was wearing it under her clothes. So it looked like she didn't have anything. But when she would get somewhere where she needed to do something, she needed to purchase something, she would take that chain off and take one of the links off. And so there's a piece of gold. And she would trade for food and other things. She used that gold chain to buy passage from Greece to America to come to the New World. And that's how my step-grandfather-in-law, as a little boy, was able to come to this country because they used that gold as a refugee to escape. That's what people who are escaping do. I can tell you right now that I've talked to a lot of people who are anticipating the Great Tribulation, and they're all thinking about how do I prepare for this? You know, I'm planning on escaping, I'm planning on... And part of the equation is getting gold coins, silver coins, different levels and denominations so that they can use to barter and trade with because they don't think cash is going to work and they don't want to barter away their stuff. They, they need to find some way that people accept something for an exchange for the things that they need. That's normal. That's natural. However, 
I say to my future brethren in that situation, be very, very careful and don't put your trust in it. Make sure your trust is in the Lord. He's the one that's going to deliver you. Your gold and silver will not deliver you. Might be useful and helpful, but don't trust it. And I've seen and talked to a lot of brethren who are doing exactly that. They still haven't figured it out. You have to trust the Lord. So we have the same dynamic being spoken about. Ezekiel is giving warning. That's not going to deliver you. You can't eat the coin. You need other resources. Now, if you use that coin to get the resources you need, wonderful. That's smart. So that's what needs to be remembered for us in application in the last days. And by the way, at this point, this is the book is going to start getting very interesting for you. Because all of these nuances about God's judgment that he's talking about with Israel, they all are the same things that you're going to hear discussed at the end of the age with the last generation. These are the same things that are going to be happening. God's judgment upon the whole world, the manner of those judgments, the way those judgments will work, how severe those judgments are going to be. You're getting a little introduction here to the Great Tribulation. So that's our lesson for this Shabbat. Trust you'll have an excellent Shabbat, and I look forward to seeing you again next week as we continue our study into the visions of Ezekiel. Shabbat Shalom to all of you.